Microphone check. Let's get a mic check from you. Check. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh man, I'm anxious. I need this music to hurry up. <sighs> we are finally here. I've been waiting for this day for like three days now. I've been patiently watching the French Open, maybe even impatiently, and thinking about all the things I wanted to talk about today. This is Around the Post, the ATP podcast. This is episode 144, and I feel like that's a lucky number. Is it that, could be. Is that 12 times 12? I Man, I feel like it's been so long since I went to school. Yes. Okay, I think it is 12 times 12. Okay, either way, uh, we are here. We're, we're present. Mark Figaroa is in the building with, of course, all of our magnificent content. And we're going to do some Arcaraz talk. Big time, yes. And we're going to do a lot. Man, this to me has really lived up to the French Open we thought it would be. It has. Um, drama, controversy, seeds going up, seeds going down. Um, just great things all around. A lot of action-packed things to discuss. How are you feeling? Where's your head at? Where do you want to start? Tell me everything. Yes, uh also excuses we have a lot of excuses as well so if you like drama excuses controversy this is definitely the episode for you and let's get to it Uh oh so before we get to the french open uh naomi osaka is going to have a girl uh she's gonna have a girl and she is working with meta incorporation to start selling digital apparel online wow so she's keeping busy while uh pregnant She's um, maintained being a entrepreneurial, yes. forward-thinking person. How do you feel about it being a female? Oh, it's good. Uh, maybe we have the next Naomi Osaka. And as you know, uh, Serena is also with her second child as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, uh, her first child is going to play tennis, but there could be a little rivalry mm-hmm. right there, maybe. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on uh, Naomi? I didn't even think about that. That's a good catch. Um, so we do have two similar-aged girls being born to essentially hall of fame athlete women yes um here's the difference though one of those girls has half the genetics of a founder of reddit which is pretty amazing and the other one has half the genetics of a professional recording artist correct in ybn corday right um so very interesting will they continue down the athletics path or will they go into the arts or the tech and business a lot of interesting paths for these kids to choose. They got some special genetics and a lot of privilege. Exactly. <laughs> so that that's pretty exciting. So congratulations to Naomi Osaka. Uh, now we're going to go on to the controversy of the French Open. First, we're going to start with the night matches. So, <clears throat> excuse me. When Sloane Stevens played Arena Sabalenka, that was the first night match at the time. First and only night match for the women. Mm. And half of the tickets were returned. So if you saw the stance, the what what I would call the bougie seats, quote unquote, where you're playing top dollar, Mm. they were all empty. The top was pretty full, Mm. but all the tickets were returned. And the funny thing to me was that people were complaining, well, why aren't the women being featured? Mm. But yet, as soon as the women are, are dropped and say, okay, here's your match, they all dump their tickets. Yeah. 
And now uh, here's the controversial spot. Now, obviously, you want your top players to play the night match because at the night match, you only play one there's only one match. So you're paying mm-hmm. for one match. Yeah. So you essentially could be paying three, $400 for one seat for one match. Yeah. So a lot of people were complaining. Well, I don't know. You know? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Iga said, I don't want to play night matches. I refuse to play night matches. Mm-hmm. So the world, the number one player in the world is refusing. Also, it doesn't help that she's slaughtering people. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the women again? Because this happened last year as well. Yeah. Not having that spot at the night matches. Okay. So I have two thoughts here. Thought number one is the the women outside the top 10 are not selling tickets in this current tennis era in time. That's just what it is for sure. That's an undeniable fact. I don't think that if I'm a tournament tournament coordinator or director i'm putting a woman outside of the top 10 who is not a main drawn catch in my night match because the tickets are not going to sell with that being said i do think there are some matches that will sell tickets um it's just it's very difficult you know it's very difficult because a lot of these matches can feel a bit one-sided too you know in theory in my head coco Goff versus iga is a good ticket selling match in my head. It wasn't. No. <laughs> that that match was as they all two. are. Yes. They they're all the same way between the two of them. Right. But those are two stars in tennis. You know, they're very popular athletes. They're household names to tennis fans. And I think that we're in a bit of a weird era for women's tennis because Sabalenka's, Vitalina, Rabakana, they're not the names of the last women's generations you know are they successful professional athletes yes are people actual fans of these players not as much um i would go as far as letting you know i think emma raducanu has more fans than all three of them i can see that you know i think that a lot of the most popular wta players are not the players that go deep in tournaments right now you know I think that Iga is only successful with fans because she wins so much. And I think that her personality, her presence, her image are not as big or prominent. And that might also be hurting the WTA as well. Yes. Now, granted, to me, this this is probably one of the main reasons why the, the women didn't sell as much, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about length of match. Yeah. So again, one match, uh, women's are two out of three. Men's are three out of five. Mm. At best, you're only going to get three sets for a women's match. At worst, the men are going to play the three sets. Yeah. So you're getting gypped, quote unquote, for your money. Now, I don't think that's a, a good idea for the French Federation. I think what they should do is they should put two matches together as they do at Indian Wells. Absolutely. And then you have men's matches and then women's matches or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to get the sales. Yeah. But doing it the way they did just doesn't make any sense to me. I agree. It's a little confusing to me. Why would you have just a single match in the evening in general? No. Why would anyone want to do that? Exactly. No, that doesn't make any sense, especially because... Until you get to the quarters and semis, you can assume the majority of those night matches will be one-sided, no matter who you pick. Right. Because it's going to be a higher seed versus either unseated or a lower seed. Yes. So, yeah, I don't like that. Yes, and Alcaraz 
thumped Shapovalov. That was a night match. Mm-hmm. The only night match that was worthy was Monfils. Yeah. So they, they didn't get their money's worth for sure. Mm. So moving on, controversy two, the doubles match. So mm. if you've heard about this or you haven't, uh, there is a team that when you're done serving, you hit the ball across mm-hmm. the net to give them to the other side ball kids because those ball kids are now going to give the, the boss to the uh, the other team who's serving on that side. Yeah. Well, the girl wasn't looking. So all of a sudden, the one of the uh, doubles players finishes the, the serve, wins the game, hits it across. The girl's not watching. It hits her. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the girl starts crying. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't Djokovic where he hit that, uh, uh, not the chair umpire, the, the lines judge. Yeah. It wasn't out of anger. She was just tossing the ball over. Yeah. The, the, the chair umpire gave him a warning. Mm-hmm. But here... Uh, the other team said, give me the supervisor. Mm-hmm. They called the supervisor over. They followed the letter of the law, mm-hmm. which is you hit somebody, you're out. Yeah. They they threw them out. As a matter of fact, they also lost prize money and their points earned to that point. I, I think that was messed up obviously on social media people are just ripping up this team it was tormo who lost to hadid maya mm-hmm. was one of the doubles players mm-hmm. and they're just oh they couldn't beat them so they had to find a loophole to beat them good yeah. for them mm-hmm. even even uh, analysts were saying i hope they can't sleep <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, on the on that uh, incident um you know as far as the opposing team trying to take advantage if you're going to be totally honest with you Big bucks on the line here. The team, assuming they lost that match, the team that got disqualified, assuming they lost, they lost $45,000. So the other team went, look, if all I got to do to lock in 45K is petition to get this other team DQ'd, I'm going to do it. I understand why they did it. Would I have done it? No, I have too much pride for that. I think that what they did is shameful. Yes, I really do. That's um, chicken crap. But I am unsurprised because we know how catty and petty some of these athletes can be. And this is not their job. It's their job to, if they can get an inch, take a mile. It's the umpire and the tournament directors and the supervisor's jobs to understand, assess the situation and do the right thing. There's no way in hell, no way, she hit the ball underhanded. Right. Like a slice. Correct. A float to this ball girl. It was actually a beautiful pass. <laughs> it was actually a great pass. Um, she hit it to the ball girl. The ball girl, looking the wrong direction, recognizes the ball is incoming and flinches, turns her shoulder and flinches away from the ball, causing it to hit her in her shoulder slash neck. Because she flinched, right. not because it was a bad or aggressive pass. She then starts to cry, in my opinion, out of shame or embarrassment, not out of pain. Yes. Or whatever they're assuming it was. Um, And I think that the ball girl had anxiety and was nervous and started crying. And that made it look more dramatic than it was. And of course, the other team, look, she's crying. She's been hit by a ball. I cannot believe they disqualified this team because of this. Yes. They robbed the fans of a match. They robbed players of their pay, their points, and they rewarded a team that hadn't even proven they were in control of the match yet. Right. 
So this is a major loss to the French Open. And if you want me to be completely frank with you, so far, just from this episode, it's feeling like the French Open doesn't know how to hold a quality tournament. We have night events with one match. We have doubles players being DQ'd for nothing. What's going right as a tournament director at the French Open right now? Yes, uh, they just don't know what to do. Yeah. And since you brought that up, let me get to this just to add to the inadequacy of the French Open. Mm. In 2025, the ATP has decided that they are going to use electronic line calls on all tournaments. Mm. The French Federation said, I don't think so. Mm. The French Open will still use lines people. We're not going to do the electronic line calls. Everybody else is, but not the French Open. Wow. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, just this year alone, we've proven that even with clay marks, they get it wrong. Yes. They still get it wrong. So I, I'm i a purist. You know, I do like line judges. I do like using the marks. I think that's awesome. I think it adds to the allure of what the game is. I do think that calls get missed. But I do think in the grand universe, in the spectrum of the sport, there are rewards and there are errors and it balances out. Yes. I've always felt that way when things are done correctly. But not at the French. <laughs> no, I, they're showing me that they don't even look at the right marks. Yes. You know, so I think that using the computer, at least everyone's getting the same biased. Right. You know, but... You know, what do I know? There are conspiracy theories even about that. So Yeah, there's always been uh, problems with the umpire picking the wrong mark. And as you know, uh, the players could circle another mark from another shot. That's yeah. not that one. Mm-hmm. So there's always controversy on that. And even when they see it in, mm-hmm. the, the the camera has shown it out by an inch. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's just tough. Yeah. It's tough. So, uh, before getting to the other controversy, we're going to talk about Rabakina. She had to pull out. Now, this is going to be a theme for this episode as well. Mm-hmm. She pulled out of, of her match due to sickness. She said that she didn't feel it. She felt bad for two nights, fever. She just couldn't go. And she was extremely disappointed because she was actually having a decent run. Mm-hmm. She had decent runs uh, pr- prior to the French Open. She hasn't had really good results on clay, and she felt as if she was going to be a contender, but she had to pull out. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's a shame. You know, It. It's uh, if you're an Ega fan, you should probably celebrate. Oh, for sure. Um, another opportunity for Ega to possibly close out this slam. And um, outside of that, this is a loss for tennis. You know, we, we all are probably counting on Rabakina to be someone who gets to potentially the final. You yes. Know? Um, so the fact that one of the favorites didn't is very disappointing. Yes, for sure. So now, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to get to the next controversy, which is Vitalina and Sabalenka. Now mm. in the first round, we do know the war between Ukraine and Russia. The, the Ukrainian players have decided to uh, stick together and not shake the hands of any Russian or Belarus player. So in the first round, Kostchek, who's a Ukrainian, lost to Sabalenka. They didn't shake hands. Uh, Sabalenka was at the net. The other girl just went to the uh, umpire, shook his hand, and then took off. Mm-hmm. They booed her out the stadium. Mm. Then um, in the second round, Sabalenka won. She was asked about why is it that they're doing this. And Sabalenka just said, if you guys keep asking me these questions, I'm not going to answer them. Mm-hmm. So she didn't show up to her next press conference. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets dramatic, dramatic. Zvitalina 
lost to Sabalenka in the fourth round or quarterfinal, one of the two. Um, and again, Svitolina went up, uh, sorry, Sabalenka went up to the net expecting a handshake. Mm-hmm. Svitolina didn't shake her hand, gets booed out of the stadium. Mm. And then Svitolina in her press conference said, she knew that I wasn't going to shake her hand. Why did she walk up? It was because of her walking up that the French crowd started to boo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabalenka defended herself by saying, it was just natural. You Once you finish a match, you go to the net mm-hmm. to shake hands. That was just an automatic reaction for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. What are your thoughts on this drama here going on between the Ukrainian players and the Russian Belarusian players? I understand why they're doing it, but directing and projecting your your beliefs about the war on the athletes for me it's just not it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by doing this. Right. You know, these athletes are not, they're not in the war. They're not making political decisions. They're not on the front lines. They're not calling missile strikes. They're not pilots. You know, they're not in the military. They're not, they have nothing to gain from the oppression of Ukraine, the war between Russia and Ukraine. There's, there's no reason to project these issues onto them and bring it into the court. Right. You know, I've always, always thought that, Within a court, a field, an arena, any sport, we can forget about everything happening outside of where we're currently at and focus on what's at hand. You know, a lot of people have always considered sports to be a sanctuary, you know, where, you know, even on the flip side, you know, I've had I've played sports my entire life and I've been mortal enemies, disrespectful rivals, you name it to the point of violence, you know, with other people in sport. And when the sport ends, you shake hands and you're good. Right. You know, and it is what it is. You know, you're good afterwards. It doesn't have to leave the court or the sport or the field or whatever it is. So I really hate that they're bringing these personal, almost impersonal things into the court on a public platform like this. I don't like it. Um, I don't support it. I don't think that it's productive. I don't think it's making a real statement. This feels a lot to me like the internet protesters. You know, a whole lot of you saying, hey, I don't believe in the war. Okay, what now? (laughs) You know, like, what now? What are you doing now about it? You know, what I would love to know is what are these players who are refusing to shake each other's hands doing to help support or not support or you know provide support to ukraine or whatever they're trying to do outside of it right that on the other hand would be a lot more productive and quality i agree as a matter of fact i asked the same thing and i was asking different people mm-hmm. what is their objective yeah. like the only thing i can come up with is trying to ban the russian and belarus players again mm-hmm. as they did at wimbledon by the ukrainians saying well we're not shaking their hand mm-hmm. i refuse mm-hmm. so I honestly, or they're making a political statement Mm -hmm. and that's it. So Svitolina also commented in her press conference saying Sabalenka should have been fine for not going to her press conference. Why wasn't she? Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that was very petty. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, Svitolina was the the adopted uh, daughter to the French because she's married to Gael Monfils. They adopted her. They were cheering her on. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that her stance is wrong, 
But what I'm saying is uh, she just acted very petty. What are your thoughts on her saying that Sabalenka should have been fined? I hate when other players try to tell the Federation and stuff like that, things that are unrelated to them. I don't I don't like the, oh, you need to disqualify them. You need to fine them, you know, unless they did something that's truly detrimental to the public or the people or it's a truly negative act. Why do you even care? You know, it's not going to affect your journey to the final, and that should be your top priority and thoughts. Exactly. You know, so it's just funny to hear some of these players who are so petty and distracted and caught up in the little things, you know, when they're not even that successful in the big things. Right. You know, you should definitely put your horse in the correct race and focus on going in that straight line. Get out of all these political protest activists, weird actions you're doing that aren't changing anything. And if you really do want to make a difference, there are great platforms and ways to do it. There really are. But not shaking someone's hand who is probably a normal person like you is not the solution. Yes, I agree for sure. And now moving on to the tennis, we have Hadid Maya, Beatrice Hadid Maya. Bia Bia. Who won Toronto. I've been saying in this podcast, she's somebody to look at for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, She beat Jabor. Mm -hmm. She is the first Brazilian since 1968 Woo! female female brazilian wow to make it to the semifinals wow and she is one and no against Iga. oh i didn't know that so there could be she can at least hang yeah but she's had two matches where it's gone to three sets and they've mm. been wars mm. on the other side we have mukova who has made it to semifinals before uh, playing against Sabalenka. Mm-hmm. Now, Iga has to make one round more than Sabalenka to remain number one. Mm-hmm. So if Sabalenka makes it to the final, Iga has to win it. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't, Sabalenka is the new world number one. Wow. Now, what I would like to see is what happened with Alcaraz and Rudd, or sorry, Rude, and that is have them play in the final. Mm-hmm. for the number one spot. Yes. What are your thoughts? And do you think Hadid Maya can beat Iga? Uh, here's the thing. I actually went to Indian Wells um, and I saw Maya play up close and personal. And she's uh, she looks like a, an elite athlete. She really does. Her play, on the other hand, it is not quite as prestigious and dynamic as the Iga game but she is a lefty with a nice big full service motion and she has the lefty angles down excuse me so this one this one's tricky for me because this is Iga's home turf Iga on the clay is where we first heard Iga's name for me I think that Iga in straight sets is the prediction that's my guess. Um, I really do think Iga in straight sets. All we need from Iga is for her to dial in and figure out that serve. And once she's getting those returns in play, she's going to be opening up that court completely with her ground strokes and topspin. And we see uh, Bia Bia out of here. Yes. Um, that's my prediction there. And I do like the idea of a high stakes final because between me and you, the reason I really want to see it is not because of who's going to finish will be number one. I think that this is an opportunity for Iga to establish herself right. as the dominant player on the tour. Yeah, because, legacy. Because legacy-wise, like you just said, 
this has not been the year for Iga in terms of sheer dominance and legacy. Right. It's been a year of her saying, I'm a consistent high-level player, but it has not been a year of, I beat my rivals, I beat the other top five players. It's been very hot and cold for her. And this is a great opportunity for her to establish herself and make a statement for the rest of this year. So Iga needs to go against Sabalenka in this final. She needs to win it. And it starts with her beating Beatrice. Yes. So now moving on to the men before we get to the... Oh, by the way, so that was just the women. So now we're going to talk about the men. And not saying that, oh, it's just the women. I'm just saying that that was just the news so far. There's so much more. So uh, moving on, we're going to talk about Nadal. He had uh, surgery on the hip. Mm -hmm. And he's laying out. He said he's going to be down for maybe four or five months Mm -hmm. before he starts hitting again. Uh, what are your thoughts on the successful uh, hip surgery for Nadal? And can he recover fast enough to start training prior to 2024? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for Nadal that he's sitting on his ass and, <laughs> and taking time away from the sport to heal and recover. Because if Andy Murray can make a return and do what he did, we know that Nadal is more than capable. If he does it correctly, you know, Andy Murray had a hip replacement. Right. I don't know exactly the details of the Nadal surgery, right? but I do know that if they're saying he'll be able to return to the tour, I have no doubt in my mind he'll be back next year playing tennis in some level. But here's the thing. you know, We're, we're hearing a lot of mixed reviews from Nadal. We're hearing things like, it's definitely my last year. I'm definitely just going to try to give one good year. And that really sounds like him saying, hey, this surgery is not something to bring me back to the Nadal you know and love. Right. That's what it feels like. But on the flip side, we we see the dog in Murray. We see what Andy Murray did with a fake hip. What can Nadal really get that's worse than that? You know, and why can't he come back and play at the level we want to see him at? So it'll be interesting to find out. And I really look forward to the day the Nadal documentary comes out and explains oh, yes, all of be this. Sick. Because he's really kept us in the dark on a lot of details. Right. And I do think one day we will get the full story. Oh, for sure. Uh, moving on, we are going to talk about Murray, but for now, we're going to talk about Stanimal. Mm. So he said, I have a lot more to accomplish. I know I am 38 years old and my prime years are gone. I won't be the same as I won in, was in 2015 when I won, but I still have the love for the sport. And there's certain things that I want to accomplish before I call it a, a career. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Stanimal can make a Cinderella run once again at a Grand Slam? Hmm. Um, being honest with you, no, I don't. I I don't see Stan doing five setters all the way for two weeks. <laughs> with his current ranking, I just can't imagine that. But I do think Stanimal is capable of beating almost anyone on the tour. Yes. You know, I think out of, let's say there's 500 people on the world tour right now for the ATP, I think he's beating casually 450 people casually and i think that 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 remaining 50 he's probably beating 35 of them so i i think that he's got the right mindset i just can't imagine him beating a holgaruna uh alcaraz a zverev you know these guys who are still moving fantastically and striking equal or better to him you know those are the matches that make me worry because let's say he pulls off one in five sets is he going to be able to do two or three more five setters right That's the problem. 
I don't think it's that he can never beat these guys. It's just the stamina and the marathon of beating multiple in a row, which is what he had to do to get his slams he has. Right. You know, so I just don't think that that's the possibility. But 500 events, 1,000 events, absolutely. Yes, I think that if he doesn't draw a lot of high seeds, he could make a fourth-round quarterfinal. Mm. But if he, if he draws too many big seeds too early... That's pretty much the end. Yeah. But Stanimal definitely has game for sure. Yeah. So we're going to move on to Andy Murray. Now, Andy Murray is on grass. He's been practicing, and we have this discussion all the time. Mm. We're always saying, is he playing top 20 ball? Mm. Well, he made an assessment, and he says, I'm playing top 10 ball on grass. Oh. I can beat, I can beat certain players on grass. He mm. said, uh, I took a set off of Berrettini at Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. He said, I did beat Stefanos on grass. Granted, that's not his best uh, um, surface. surface. And I beat Kyrgios, mm-hmm. who made it to the Wimbledon final. Mm-hmm. So I can compete on grass. And I'm a top 10 player on grass. Is he calling out a shot? Do you think he has a shot at Wimbledon? Look, I'm going to be very transparent here in my thoughts. I adore Andy Murray. Yes. You just said it. I love Andy Murray. Um, Andy Murray has no shot in hell at Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am sorry. I am a huge Andy Murray fan, but let's let's remember this. Just this one fact, okay? Prime Andy Murray, at his peak, was not the favorite at Wimbledon. <laughs> you know? And we are seeing a fraction of that man today. I still think he is... I personally, this is opinion. This has, this is based off no evidence. I think he's a top 20 tennis player on the tour right now, all surfaces. I really do. Um, but on paper, he's still not even that, you know. And so on grass, he is right. You know, this is a, a statement they make for professional fighting, which is styles make matchups. Right. You know, sometimes the guy who's 35 in the world has better odds than the guy who's number 10 in the world because of the styles and the surface. And I do think that he is an all-court player, an all-surface player, and that he will get the advantage over people who are not, who are higher ranked. I agree with that. But five setters, two-week tournament, his body, no. Just no. It, there's no way. It's not going to happen. I do think, though, at these smaller events, the 250s, 500s, 1000s, he can make some noise for sure. We should watch out for him at Stugard, Halla, wherever he goes. Watch out for him on the grass. And I know he's got a chip on his shoulder because he really took a hard attempt at this clay season and fell straight on his face. Right. You know, he really landed on his face on this clay season. And that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I'm glad to hear he's still in high spirits and he's going in with a positive mindset for the grass. And I think that will pay off for him because his hardcore start to this year was amazing. Right. And if he can bring that level to the grass, we can see him take out some more top 10 players for sure. I am still 100% doubtful of him winning a Wimbledon. He is uh, top 50 right now. So he won't be playing a Berrettini, mm-hmm. Kokonakis in the first round, second round. Mm-hmm. He can have a, a softer draw. Yeah. So he could make a fourth round until he finally plays a seed. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty big for him. Yeah. So I think that again same thing as animal with the right draw he can definitely make some noise on grass for sure absolutely so moving on to the breakthrough uh <clears throat> excuse me breakthrough performances we have juan pablo varias from peru mm. who 
got dumped by Djokovic. Yeah. But he's the first Peruvian since 1994 to reach a fourth round. And then we have Sarundalo, who made a deep run at the French Open as well. He gave Holger Runa a little scare there. Yeah, he did. He so did. those are the breakthrough performers. Any Anything you want to add to that? 1,000%. Uh, Sarundalo is someone for you to watch. Big time. Um, he took out, or he lost to Felix at Indian Wells in three. He had that match under his hand. And then he met up with him at the following tournament in Miami and took him out. Um, Sarundalo has actually had a very good breakout year, and he's very much under the radar. He's a South American, if I remember correctly, and he is ninja-like in draws right now. He's very much under the radar, but playing excellent tennis. I want you to realize, he took out Taylor Fritz in four. Right. This is someone that people need to pay attention to because he's very much a bit of an all-arounder player. And he lost to one of our top three picks for this event in five sets, and that includes tiebreakers. Right. Um, This is someone that people should pay attention to for sure. Um, He hasn't lost to anyone in a tournament this year that isn't someone you've heard of. Right. This year. Um, He's, to me, he's really just having a really, really good year. And I'm curious because I watched him play in person, and... I'll be honest with you, he he has a little bit of that, I want to call it almost a, a Ferrer-ish, it's an all-court but nothing really stands out kind of game, and he hasn't really developed that standout weapon yet, and that's what scares me for him is when someone has an off day, he'll beat them, but what happens when someone has an on day, you know? You know, that's what separates him from the Felixes and stuff like that, who has a massive forehand and serve or, you know, a Djokovic who has everything. I need Sarundalo to get to that very next level. He's going to have to hit a little bigger and take a little bit more risks. And I think he has the physique and potential to do it. But for now, he's definitely giving me top 30 vibes. And that's about it. Yes, that's fair. So now the big drama on the men's tour Uh, prior to Sarundalo, Fritz had a war with the last Frenchman standing. Mm. Now. Is that Moutet? Uh, Who I, was it? I forgot his name. Okay. You could look it up while I'm telling the story. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. Um, he sort of received Medvedev US Open boos. Hmm. So he was getting booed. Obviously, he's playing a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finally wins the match and he starts shushing the crowd. He's putting his finger over his uh, lips both fingers telling them (laughs) shut up pretty much and Mm. then they're starting to boo him loud and then he starts pointing to his ear i can't hear you i can't hear you all (laughs) of a sudden um he goes up to the uh, on-court interview Mm -hmm. and uh, marion bartoli was asking him questions and fritz couldn't hear nothing i couldn't even recognize her that was bartoli that was bartoli wow i didn't recognize her so he goes up and, and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. And this was legit. Yeah. And then finally he got a word in and every time he would start talking, he got booed out the stadium. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he was all, you guys drove me to win. He was like, "You, this crowd support really pushed me to victory. Yes. He said and he I, mocked the crowd. Yeah. And he said, I won for you guys. <laughs> and then just walked away. Yeah. Similar, similar a la Medvedev. Mm-hmm. His next round... He, as soon as he walked on the court, 
booed out the stadium. Hmm. The announcer announces him, booed out the stadium. Jeez. Loses the next round. What are your thoughts on Fritz? Uh, controversy with the crowd, similar to Medvedev at the U.S. Open. Villain. Um, I mean, the French crowd is harsh. The French crowd is very passionate and harsh. They care about their countrymen. I looked up, it was a, a no-name Frenchman, and I hate to say no-name about a professional athlete, but uh, Rinderneck, okay. Rindernesh, I, I don't know that player, um, so unless you do. I've I never, don't. I've never heard of that player. But he beat that player in four sets. He dropped the first set and then won the next three. And yeah, that the crowd was behind this guy, you know, because he was a Frenchman. And, yes. I mean, let's be real. Taylor Fritz was supposed to win that match. And then, yeah, Sarunulo took him out right after in four. Yes. So, you know, I think that I enjoy when an athlete antagonizes a crowd back. I like that. I think that it's just now you got to back it up every time you come out. You know, so um, it's very interesting for me because I was really thinking in my head, how do you sell yourself to the French Open crowd when you're not a Frenchman? What do you what do you have to do? Because. We're seeing some really good players with good personalities get booed. Yes. So what's it take? I don't know. No, not when you're playing a Frenchman. Yeah, when you're playing a Frenchman, you're screwed. But, you know, for example, I'm sure this is something that goes through Novak's head a lot. Because Novak had matches where his opponent would hit some incredible shots. The crowd would go crazy. Djokovic's response was, I'm going to beg this crowd to cheer for me. Exactly. You know, and that's just, that's how he responded is I won't love back even though, you know, you guys are cheering for the other guy. So obviously crowd love and support is important to these athletes and it does affect how they play no matter what they do. Exactly. So now the big matchup is set. Let's, let me, let me go back. Let's talk about uh, the Scandinavian uh, matchup between um, Holger Runa and Casper Ruud. Mm. Now, this to me is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holger Rune has, sorry, Casper uh, uh, Ruud has not beaten a top 10 player until today at a Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. I, I was shocked by that. Now, I'm not. Now, granted, I knew that his uh, draw was a cakewalk last year yeah. because everybody was at the top half. Yeah. But I actually thought he'd at least beat a top 10 player in another slam. So he's actually been getting lucky getting to these finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's playing the Cinderella story. Uh, uh, Zverev, who got injured in the semis last year against uh, Nadal, mm-hmm. he made it back to that spot again. Uh, who do you got and uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'll start with my thoughts about Kasper Root because he's my least favorite player in the draw still for, <laughs> for the man. <laughs> um, Respect him. You know what's funny is I do. I do respect him, but I'm not a fan. And I was very disappointed that Holger Rune just had a bad first two sets. Yes. I I couldn't understand it because he seemed to be so rock solid as of late. Yes. You know, he had Kasper Rude's number recently. They just played each other, and he played lights out tennis. You know, he played with grit and heart, and he pulled it out. And this time around, he just appeared to have the opposite going on. Um, but it is what it is. Kasparu did get here and do what he had to do to win and maintain his quality of play to whatever level he could. And so, you know, Kasparu, I just really, really, really am going to be upset if he wins a French Open this way. Yes. I'm going to be really disgusted with that. But with all that being said, 
how I feel about this current matchup. I, I'm happy to see Zverev where he's at. Yes. You know, um, I do think Zverev is a... He's an oddball because he always has these big prophetic takes. He and does. Predictions. And uh, just to put this back out there, we've said this on air, but he did predict this was Nadal's last French Open. He did say that. He said this will be his last one. He did say retiring. that. And then Nadal didn't even make it to it. So I don't know if he was wrong or right. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's very beautiful to see him make his comeback. He's had a rough comeback. You know, he's not been playing his best tennis up until right now, this instant. He's looking a lot better. Fortunately, he was in the bottom half. That was a big win for him. And if you want me to be honest with you, he couldn't ask for a better semifinal matchup. He really couldn't. He has the ability to hit through Casper Ruud. He does have the ability. Will he do it? Time will tell. But this is a match that can go either way. Yes. Casper Ruud seems to be playing very well at the French. And Zverev, to me, styles make matchups. This is in his favor. Yes, uh, Rude has the ability to open up the court, mm-hmm. which is what will give him the win if he's able to do it consistently. Mm-hmm. And as you just stated, Zverev can hit through him mm-hmm. as long as he doesn't have hiccups on his serve. Yeah. Um, I, I could see Zverev winning as long as he doesn't have hiccups on his serve. Yeah, which he, he buckles under pressure. You Big know, time. He's choked in the past. So I'm not going to, I would never bet the house on Zverev after watching him lose that U.S. Open final. I will never bet the house on him. But I do think he's more than capable and has all the skills to win this whole event. I really believe that. He has the skill sets to do it. You know, you know, in a in some weird universe, he takes out Kasper Rudin straights. Djokovic and Alcaraz take each other's heads off in a five-set, five-hour match. And then Zverev walks in super recovered and plays an exhausted Djokovic or Alcaraz and pulls it out in four. No, geez. That is possible in another universe. Will that happen in this tournament? I don't know. But I just want you to know. It's possible. It's possible. It's very possible. You know, um, Alcaraz and Djokovic are expected. We're anticipating potentially the match of the year. Yes. From these two very soon. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I rewatched their last matchup, which was last year in at Madrid. Madrid. Whew, it was good. And uh, Alcaraz beat Nadal prior and then beat Djokovic. Yeah, so it's looking good. Alcaraz has no fear going into this match. No. And you know what's funny? I don't know what Djokovic's mindset is going into this match. I don't know if he's going to go in with doubt because just to put this out there, he went into the whole Garuna match with a little bit of doubt. You know, when they asked him about his previous experience with Holger, he didn't bring up when he beat him at the U.S. Open. He brought up when he lost to him. There you go. And to me, that lets you know what's living in his mind rent-free. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. Djokovic, to me, is not playing his absolute best tennis. Right. He's not. And Alcaraz is looking pretty good. So I'm um, looking forward to that. But, yeah, um... I think uh, I'm rooting for Zverev. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. As far as Zverev versus uh, Rude. Yeah. Now, before we get to Djokovic, I'll give the stats and all that. Excuses time again. Stefano mm. Sissipas. God damn it. He lost 6-2, 6-1, 7-6 to Alcaraz. Mm. Night match. Complete thumping. And here's what he said. He offered up an explanation as to why he lost that badly. Mm. I'm going to read it to you because me paraphrasing it won't do it justice. (laughs) He said, 
schedule has been a little bit difficult. I haven't been playing a lot of late night matches, but they've been late enough to throw out my sleeping pattern. Hmm. I've been having difficulties falling back asleep. I've taken melatonin to help me go back to sleep. And that messed me up a little bit. As a matter of fact, I had to take a nap prior to the match against Alcaraz. And that sort of threw me off a little bit. As a matter of fact, Jim Courier mocked Sissipas during the Holger Runa uh, Casper Rude match, saying, There must be something in those melatonin pills, but hopefully he learns not to take them anymore. Oh my goodness. What are your thoughts on Stefano's Sissy Pass? There's just something wrong with this generation of players, you know? It's just, it is the most oddball stuff I've ever heard. Some of these excuses are mind boggling. You know, we would watch matches from Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, and when they lost. No excuses? No excuses. Even if there was one, even if there was a valid reason they lost, they'd go. I could tell you a million different reasons why I lost, but at the end of the day, they were the better player on the court. The end. You that's know? it. Or, I didn't play my best tennis today. The end. That's it. Why are we hearing about, oh, you know, my sleep schedule, the melatonin pills, and all this, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just all these weird things these guys are saying. And to me, it just sounds like you've been playing professional tennis. Pa has been on the tour playing professional tennis five or six years at least. You know, five or six years where we've known his name. If you're still struggling to figure out the basics of how to set up yourself for a match the next day, what have you been doing this whole time? You know, you've been in countless finals, countless matches, countless tournaments. You know how to prepare your body. You have a team of people. You have... A full partnership with people to help you prepare so you play your best tennis the following day. If we're still having hiccups in that process, you shouldn't be this deep in tournaments in the first place. You know, and it shouldn't be an excuse why you lost. Your real excuse should be me and my team failed at getting my preparation correct. Yes. The end. That's it. It shouldn't, oh, you know, the melatonin. What? Who let you take melatonin and you've never done that before a match and played well? Daddy, most likely. It's just retarded. It's retarded. There's You shouldn't be putting anything in your body that takes certain effects on your body in a tournament unless you've done it in a tournament prior and found success. I would defend Stefanos a lot. But after hearing this nonsense, this, that's he's almost this close to losing my respect for sure. Not that it matters, but that's just way too many excuses now. Come, come on. on. Come man. on. Seriously. Come Seriously. On. And now Alcaraz in the press conference says, the first two sets, that's the best I've ever played on tour. Uh, should we take it? Should we take his performance away since Sissy Pass had sleeping problems? No, not at all. This is my issue with Sissy Pass. He's filled with BS excuses. We either assume Sissi Pa has been fluking his way into countless finals and playing high-level tennis by pure accident and luck, or we realize he's making up crap excuses because he got thumped and it was embarrassing. And it was a night match. Yeah, and it was a night match. Yeah. Look, let's be real here. Alcaraz played out of his mind, and there's no shame in that. There's none. I did not think less of Sissi Pa because he got blown off the court. I really didn't. 
He's playing the number one player in the world at the French Open on his best surface. It's okay, man. You know, it's okay. I did not think you were less of a player until you did your press conference. So, you know, for CC Pot, I hope that he can find more comfort in his own skin. And instead of coming up with reasons why he lost, figure out new ways to win. Because that's the real mindset he's probably going to need to have moving forward. Yes. Because it seems like Alcaraz and Sinner are rent-free in these guys' heads in that generation. Already. Big time. You know, the only guy who seems to have it mentally stable is Medvedev. Yes. He's the only one. So. Right. You know, I don't know about the rest of these guys. Oh, and Kyrgios. And Kyrgios, which exactly. There's, I don't know if you're going to cover that. Uh, you could. Okay. Yes. Um, but we heard multiple people state, I'm just going to run off of the topic we're on. Alcaraz seems to have no weaknesses. Uh, no one can figure him out. There's no holes in his entire game. Right. And Kyrgios tweeted about it. And he went, you know, I disagree. A lot of people said the same thing about Medvedev at one point until someone beat him. I think these people need a coach. I'm willing to coach. I'll help them win. He got a response, but it wasn't from a professional tennis player. Ben Stiller (laughs) comes forward and says, I would love lessons. If you're serious, I will take lessons. Curious response. I'll give you lessons in exchange for some acting lessons. There you go. And Ben Stiller responds again and goes, look, if we're going to be serious about this, I will do it. And Kyrio says, I will get you ready for a professional tournament. If you get me ready to be in a full feature length film. <laughs> I don't think either of them are ready for that. Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> Uh, but uh, what did you think of that exchange? And how I thought that was funny. It escalated so fast. <laughs> yes, for sure. Especially Ben Stiller being a huge uh, Nadal fan. Yeah. But I thought that was a, a funny exchange for sure. But as a matter of fact, Curios did say that Alcaraz was going to win the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And he did. So to me, I don't know if that's sort of contradictory when he said that he didn't have any holes when he predicted that he was going to win the U.S. Open. What do you think of that? Look, I'm going to give you one last quote, okay? Okay. I didn't see this until right now. That's why I want to tell you. Okay. So, obviously, a lot of buzz caught fire after they had this interaction. Curious followed up with one more tweet. No, geez. He said, look, I know the game better than most. I'm way more knowledgeable and up to date than most of the coaches out right now. Look, I've beaten everyone. End quote. How do you feel about that? Do you think that uh, he has some credence there? I think so. I don't. Uh, has he played Alcaraz yet? I don't think they have. Um, I, don't, I don't think. I don't think they've matched up and played each other. You know what? Um, they were supposed to play at Indian Wells last year, but Kyrgios lost, I think it was. I see. I think that's what it was. They were about to meet, and then Kyrgios lost. So... But granted, yes, his uh, um, statement does carry some validity. But he uh, honestly, he has to be Alcaraz to me in order to say, okay, I know their weaknesses, and now he's proven that he has weaknesses. Yeah, they've never played each other. There you go. So they have to play each other for me to say, okay, I I see Kyrgios's point. Mm -hmm. And now the main event, we have Djokovic versus Alcaraz. 
Now, um, Djokovic has reached his 45th semifinal, one behind Federer, who has 46, and Nadal has 38. What are your thoughts on that number? Um, it's impressive. I like that number a lot, but it's becoming less and less relevant for me. And it shouldn't. It probably shouldn't, but it it carries less weight for me. And for me now, it's a lot more about Djokovic is the last of the Mohicans. And what is he going to do with that opportunity? Yes. Because, you know, to me, the, the real limbo section is Federer got to hit the scene before everyone. So he had an opportunity to try to sneak wins while the other guys hadn't hit the tour yet. Then Nadal came when Federer already existed, had to fight his way onto the tour to find his wins and fight his way into his last wins. Yes. He was caught in the middle. Right. Djokovic came in last. And so now he's able to try to almost pull what Federer did in 20, 2003 and four. He's kind of trying to do that now. Right. Which is how much time did you really spend on tour without the big three? Although you're a member of it. Nadal had no time without the big three. So are you? So does that mean that Nadal is the GOAT? No, it means Nadal has the least longevity. I see. But it also is a case. It is a case for you to make him the, your GOAT. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I do agree with that. But um, I don't like to hold over Federer or Djokovic's head the circumstances of when they came to the tour. Like, that makes sense. Um, if Nadal came before Federer, would he have got more wins? Probably. Probably. Uh, same thing with Djokovic. Federer. I'm glad Federer actually did it. And now I'm just curious to see if Novak is able to really capitalize. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see he what he's doing with his game right now. Um, I don't know if you plan on digging into the the things he's doing nuance-wise and detail-wise in his game right now at the French Open. Because he's added some shots to his game. Yes. Um, that he doesn't always use. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on some of these shots he's using because they're not all working to me. Um, but it's been very interesting to watch. Yes, uh, um, this is the matchup we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to make my case for Alcaraz beating Djokovic. Okay. All right. So we always bring up the 1-0 and just as curious was all, I'm 2-0 and against Djokovic. <laughs> but this is completely different. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Alcaraz has had less time on court with rougher competition. Mm-hmm. He's beaten known names. Dumped mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Shapovalov, Musetti, who did beat Djokovic mm-hmm. in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. And he just thumped a sleepy Stefano Sissipas. Um, Djokovic got a little lucky. Yeah. This Peruvian player beat um, Rublev. Mm-hmm. So he didn't play Rublev. Yeah. He, uh, Hashinov did get a set off of him, mm-hmm. but that's pretty much his highest seed. Yeah. So he's thumped. So going back to Alcaraz, Alcaraz has thumped tougher competition in less time. Alcaraz has dropped one set and it was to Sarundalo. Right. So that's, I believe. So that is, uh, uh, that's, uh, rough. Yeah. So I'm saying Alcaraz is the heavy favorite to me okay. to beat Djokovic by okay. far. And now we can throw the 1 and 0 against Djokovic after beating Nadal as well. Yeah. So to me I I'd go uh Alcaraz over Djokovic. Now as far as what you're saying, he is adding some stuff, but 
Alcaraz, what he does really well is he opens up the court yeah. and then drop shots really, really well. Mm-hmm. He'll do a kicker, put the drop. Djokovic does the same thing, but to me, uh, Alcaraz sees it faster mm-hmm. and he's able to do certain things that Djokovic sort of has problems countering. Yeah. So I think that Alcaraz will take it, but we'll see. Yeah, I've been, if there's one player I've been watching pretty closely during this French Open, it's Novak. Because I'm very curious about what he's doing to win his matches. Um, like you just said, Djokovic is, he's kind of emulating some of the Alcaraz formulas right. in sequences. Yes. But doing them less well. Right. Um, the drop shot is getting retrieved more. The The kick serve is less active and he's farther off the baseline. And he's also added in this loopy high roller backhand. And it's been working here and there. Against Hashinov, it did for sure. Yeah, it worked against Hashinov, but let's let's talk about what that ball will do with Alcaraz. That ball's getting ran around and cracked by a forehand. Big time. Because Alcaraz is a faster, smaller athlete. And Hashinov is kind of that hybrid 6'5'-y kind of guy. Uh, they don't move as quickly, but they hit bigger. Right. So, you know, I think that what Djokovic has been doing to play everyone else at the French is going to do very poorly because the drop shot will get retrieved sooner. That loopy backhand will get attacked and the serve is going to get brought back into play more often. Right. Um, is there is there a possibility that Novak knows this and will come in with a separate game plan, you think? He's going to have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have to come up with a separate game plan in order to beat him. I don't think this game plan is going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one he's been using this entire tournament, for the most part, it's not gonna it's not gonna be the move. Right. It's not gonna make it work for him tactically. And what's funny to me is Alcaraz is the, his play style. Styles make matchups. His play style plays into him beating Novak. Yes, it really does. So the real question for me is, as you just said, I do think if they go in the way they've both been playing this whole tournament, Alcaraz is the heavy favorite by far. But. Djokovic is a master of adaptation, acclimating himself to new situations, making adjustments. The question is just, can you think of an adjustment that will work? Yes, and I can't see it right now. Mm-hmm. But his analytic, he does have a good analytics team. Mm-hmm. They'll probably look at that match in Madrid and they'll try to find something. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a professional analyst. I'm not a professional tennis coach. I cannot see what the strategy or sequence is going to be. So I look forward to either having my eyes opened up to what could have been done or seeing what we're predicting will be the future. Yes, if Djokovic does beat Alcaraz, I'll look at the game and then break it down a little more. Yeah. So do you have anything else you'd like to add? I think that's pretty much everything. I think we covered it all. So I hope you guys were entertained by this drama-filled, excuse-filled episode. (laughs) ATP, we will see you next time.